Welcome to the Top Order Podcast. It's Cricketing Hall of Fame time again. Counting through level three, we're into the upper echelons, the big tiers. This is 20 through 16 on Baldy's Labour of Love. Coming up very soon. Stay tuned. Well, Baldy, I think we're into what you've called the leadership group on our Cricketing Hall of Fame, numbers 20 uh, through 16. Without giving too many spoilers away, we've got three pretty decent seamers and a couple of gun batters to talk about today. But do you want to kick us off? Where are we entering the top 20 charts? Well, let's enter at number 20, fellas, with a double header. So we're going to go to great Pakistan bowlers, probably the two greatest out-and-out Pakistan bowlers that we've ever seen play test cricket. We're, of course, going to be talking about Wakar Yunus and Wazim Akram. We'll get to the order of Wakar and Wazim at the end of the 12 minutes that we're going to put on our countdown. We'll call it that. Uh, so let's start with Wakar's stats. 87 tests for Pakistan for Wakar Yunus. 373 wickets and an average of 23 and a half. A strike rate of over his whole career of 43.5 and 22 five-wicket bags over that 15-year period. He had two good years, three excellent years, and seven outstanding years. And I want to qualify what that means because I know Stu's looking at me. So, <laughs> so you've had a good year as a fast bowler if you sort of average under, let's say, 20. 30 maybe, so let's say under 30, and then struck at, say, 60, right? You've had a really good year, an excellent year, if you say average maybe under 25, striker under 55, which is about our cutoff for the Hall of Fame. That's where it starts getting real interesting if you can perform at that level. But if you've had an outstanding year, you've gone average under 20 for the calendar year Mm. or struck at under, what did I say, 45, and so Wakar Yunus had seven calendar years in his career where he either averaged under 20 with the ball for the whole year or struck it under 45 for the calendar year. And that's second all time in terms of number of outstanding years by a test bowler. I mean, you have a look at his 1993, seven test matches, average of 15 for 55 wickets at a strike rate of 29 and a half for the whole calendar year. Six fivefers and a tenfer. That's his peak season. So that pretty much tells you all you really need to know about Waka from a peak performance perspective. When he was on top of the world, there were very, very few bowlers that could match him. And he seemed to form the perfect partnership with Wazim Akram. I don't think there has ever been a more devastating new ball pair. I mean, just ask Michael Slater. He is still, I'm sure... <laughs> Having having conniptions about Wakar and Wazim in that 92-93 season where like he would charge down the wicket and hit the second ball through the covers for four and then get polled third ball of the se- of, of the test match. You know, it, they, they were those kinds of bowlers. So, but Before we move on to uh, and introducing Wazim's stats, because I, I, I do want to break up the stats a little bit just to kind of qualify a, a, something that basically when I saw these two names in the list together, I sort of thought to myself, okay, you know, fair enough. It's great. They're a partnership. This is fantastic. We had to talk about them all together. But in my head, I was thinking, Wazim's just better than Waka. I've, I don't know. Like, Is that how everyone else kind of felt? Because when I when you then go look through the statistics, the case isn't actually there for that line of thinking. But that's always what I've thought in my head. Well, I think for, for me, in my head, yes, Wazim Akram is a better cricketer than, than Wazim Akram. Even, oh, sorry, than... Waka Yunus, even if the numbers don't match up. Mm. In my head, he's a great batsman as well. Um, But really, I mean, we're splitting hairs when it talks to sort of numbers here in careers. Binksy? Yeah, I I think Akron pips it for me. Um, 
the batting obviously is a, a little bonus. What sort of nearly twenty three test average three hundreds. Um, but also, I just think that kind of left arm angle as well made him n- not necessarily unique because, you know, one in 10 people's left handed. But um, <laughs> certainly from a from a cricketing perspective, it gave a different dimension to that um, to that attack. And I, I definitely think um, he was a little bit more skillful. Um, yes, uh, Wakar had that big booming in swing in Yorker, but Wazim could swing it both ways. Um, which is a really difficult thing to do, I'm told, as a, as a left-arm seamer, to be able to swing the ball away as well as in. Um, I've got no um, yeah, no knowledge of that from a practical perspective, but um, from what I've read. So Wazim pips it, definitely, in my opinion. Yeah, you'll brook no argument from me here. I mean, we, you are you are right. We are almost splitting hairs at this point. I mean, you have a look at the career of, of Wakar Yunus, 373 wickets, when he's sharing that new ball wicket-taking ability, if you like, mm-hmm. wicket ability with Wazim Akram at the other end, sure, the averages and the strike rates are going to be there because they're playing in a brilliant partnership. But also, you've got to you've got to then sort of factor in that they would be sharing those wickets around with yeah. the new ball, right? Um, so that's that's why you'll see. I mean, even if you have a look at their stats, Wasim's top twenty in wickets. He's fifth all time in strike rate. Top fifteen or top twelve in ten fers in five fers. Top twenty in AARP. You know, top twenty five in ten wickets per match. Even though he was in a, a partnership with Wazim Akran and, and they were sharing those wickets around, for me, this guy has just about the perfect action for reverse swing. He there is no one that I've seen that has been better placed to extract reverse swing from a cricket ball that I've seen live or, mm. or, or on television. And I think all the other bowlers that you look at that were excellent proponents of reverse swing, like Craig White comes to mind for England. He had a period there where where he was able to reverse the ball at sort of 135, 140 like Wakar did. That's a name I didn't expect to hear today. But but all of those modelled that 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 release and that seam position on where Wakar had it right and, yeah. and and he was just perfect at it and you know you talk about great partnerships you talk about Ambrose and Walsh you talk about Linwell and Miller Anderson and Broad Wasim and Wakar are as good a bowling partnership as we've ever seen and we've been so lucky as cricket fans growing up in the last thirty years of watching Test cricket to see. Ambrose and Walsh and Anderson and Broad and Wasim and Waka all play together. And these guys, for those who haven't seen them, listeners of the podcast who haven't seen these two play, they were as skillful as any of those pairs. Oh, mate, the, watching watching the highlights is just insane. The, the Yorkers you guys talked about before, it, I mean, you could watch Waka Yunus hitting those poles. Some of the deliveries, I, I sadly stumbled on a New Zealand video where it, it was it was just insane. He was just castling people. The ball was swinging. Ken Rutherford got one that swung. It, it swung incredibly late, which is the key thing about Waka. When mm. when he was really on his, on his game, it was swinging so late that people were already committed to the shot and it was just like they were missing it by miles and stumps were just flying. It was, yeah, um, unbelievable stuff. And, and we haven't even talked about his speed. Just such a, you know, he was he was one of the first bowlers. I think we talked about it in Donald that he was one of the first bowlers that I remember being talked about as rapid. Wakar's in the same boat there that he was what one fifty plus, right? Yeah, he was easily one forty five, one fifty. I mean, we're talking almost pre speed gun here in terms of it being popular on the cricket field, but he was he was easily, I reckon, one forty five plus and swinging the ball late. Let's let's move on to Wazim Akram's career. Then 104 matches, so slightly slightly more tests than than Wakar. 414 wickets, and if we check out the averages, 23.56 for Wakar, 23.62 for Wazim, and Wazim's strike rate just a little touch higher, 54.25. But he does have 
25 five wicket bags and five 10 wicket bags. So 18 years for Wazim, sorry, at the top of his game. One good year, eight excellent years, three outstanding years. So 11 out of his 18 calendar years that he played test cricket, he averaged under 25 or struck at better than 55 in terms of his strike rate. So, you know, it, it feels like to me, this guy is the most skillful left arm bowler I think we've ever seen take the cricket field. Can anyone disagree with me on that? Oh, I, I'm not going to disagree with you, Binksy. I mean, we should almost leave the leave the floor to you. you you've uh, you've mentioned it on the podcast before. You've had the pleasure of of keeping to him. Did you actually kind of get to see some of those skills on on display? Yeah, look, absolutely. And uh, I think um, check out an article by a guy called Scott Oliver, who's just actually put up a chronicle of Wazim Akram's um, rather stunted season with my club side Smethwick in the Birmingham League in 1999. I think he tweets it at reverse sweeper on, on Twitter but go and have a check check out the article yeah played I think eight games for us in that season he had some commentary commitments and it was also a World Cup year so they'd played the World Cup in England where Pakistan of course got to the final got beaten by um, by Australia I hate to say um, but yeah look it was an absolute pleasure to, to keep wicket to him and I think the, the biggest thing that I take home is People often say, you know, was he rapid? Yes, he was. Were you a long way back? Yes, I was. <laughs> um, but the, the the thing was that um, th- his mechanics and the way that he bowled, it, it almost was like it was in slow motion. He was that good. So, it, you know, he'd stand the seam up, only apparently had sort of two different things. He'd, he'd have his, his thumb like that for the, the one that went um, went away. And then he'd turn his thumb around like that for the, for, for the, um, for the one that went in. And that was the only perceptible change in his um, in his action. But then the, the scene would just stand up and you'd see it almost in slow-mo coming through to you and you, you didn't have to take anything below hip high. It was just that consistent. Um, and you talk about that kind of reverse swing. Um, he liked bowling with the older ball better. So um, for the whole season, we were sort of ordered as a club side to fire the ball in on the bounce to the keeper so that they could kind of get the Reader's cricket ball that we used then, and they used in Test cricket at that point as well to scuff up. And honestly, it was unreal watching him um, with an old, yeah, with an old cricket ball. So, yeah, look, um, one of the highlights definitely of, of my career, I, I took, I think, five or six catches off him and uh, remember three or four of them vividly. Um, yeah, look, a, a, absolute, yeah, absolute pleasure to play with someone as um, who is, you know, one of the one of the greats as, as Baldy's spreadsheet has uh, as vindicated as well. <laughs> I think, uh, you know, watching the highlights of both of these fellas, I always I get the feeling that even if a team was five hundred for one, it was one or two good balls away from just going bang bang, mm. putting them back in the game and having that. And even with an older ball, uh, is is incredibly, you know. It, something that fires you up as a player on the field, I'm sure. Speaking of on the field, Binksy, what was uh, Wazim Akram like, obviously with the bat as well, but in the field, was he an intelligent cricketer? I'm, I'm guessing you're going to say yes. And tell us what that was like playing with him. Yeah, look, he was a really intelligent cricketer. And I think we were lucky that we had a number of really young players coming through at that time, including um, uh, Kabir Ali, um, who is Moen Ali, the England player's cousin, um, Kadir Ali, who is Moen's brother, um, and then a couple of other um, young seamers as well who, who went on to play first-class cricket, um, and they were all of South Asian um, descent. And, and he was brilliant with those 
um, with those guys. So you'd see him holding court in the dressing room and he'd always have a cricket ball in his hand and he's talking to them about wrist position and he's talking to them about how to reverse the ball. He's talking to them about bowling plans and using the crease, um, running in behind the umpire and hiding a little bit. So he was just absolutely fantastic with that um, with that group. And, and I think like Raj's point really, he just gave a lot of belief to you that you could win a game from anywhere. Um, because you could just go, you know, I know it's a little bit of a cricketing cliche, but you could just go bang, bang, and then you're back in the game, um, particularly with, you know, with that old ball. So, look, um, d- definitely you, you, he had an aura about him in, in the dressing room and around a cricket field, which, you know, is going to be of no surprise um, to anyone. But, yeah, re- really, uh, you know, real gentleman. Um, but I'll tell you what, when someone hit him for four through the covers, <laughs> um uh, in club cricket then you know the next ball you, you could bet was you know going to be homing in right at the badge on the helmet um and i think he i think he clocked up five five fractures in that year so oh, um, a jaw a jaw a jaw a toe and then a, a multiple um a multiple hand injury which uh, gave him my easiest catch of the season is he pinned someone on the glove right in front of their grill and it just looped up um, and yeah, as I was catching the ball, I could just hear this bloke's knuckles all simultaneously cracking. Oh, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I want to throw back to Bully because we've kind of stolen uh, y- your time here, and it's uh, the time is about to run out on on Wazim. But I do want to reiterate the slow motion thing that you touched on there, Binksy, because I feel like that's that's the biggest standout to me. That you you know you've just talked about how fast he was, but it really does feel like when you're watching him that he's just placing it on the you know and kind of. I don't know. Even like he's almost guiding it on a string when uh, when he's going down when it's going down the wicket and stuff. It sort of just swings just enough to then catch the edge. So yeah, amazing, amazing stuff. Yeah, his control is incredible, isn't it? I mean, he not only combined incredible pace. He he was quick bowler. He had a really fast arm action. I always felt that from Gareth from back foot impact to releasing the ball, he felt like his arm went through really quick and you couldn't pick up where the ball was coming from. Some bowlers like Brett Lee, you, he kind of held it there for you to have a look at, but Wasim didn't. I mean, Waka hit it, but Wasim kind of was so quick that you didn't see it come out of his hand. I mean, Binksy saw it, but he was sort of 75 yards away when he was <laughs> when he was keeping to him. I kid, I kid, of course. Um, just touching on Wasim, and the, the reason I have him slightly above Waka is his overall contribution to cricket and, and influence on Pakistan cricket was slightly higher because he was captain. I mean, you have a look at his plus minus, average 22 and a half, with a bat, averaged 23 and a half with the ball. Mm. He had three test hundreds. He, of course, had that 257 not out, which I'm not quite sure, but is ju- must be close to the top score ever by a bowler in test cricket ever. I don't have any facts to hand to support that. But, you know, just all round, an absolute class cricketer. And even though you had more peak seasons out of Wakar from a stats perspective, mm. I think all round, we would all agree, was Imakram slightly greater cricketer overall. Yeah, I think that's fair. Well, Baldy, we, we move on to another great, and I, I was just astounded looking at this guy's uh, stats. I won't um, steal your thunder by announcing who it is, but um, we're talking about strike rates here. This guy's is pretty impressive, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we talked about strike rates when we talked about uh, Wakar Yunus, 43.5. Let's go to a bowler now that struck at 42.39 over the course of a 15-year test career as a fast bowler. Let's not underrate how hard that would have been to put together. 93 matches, 439 wickets, if I'm not mistaken, at an average of 22.95. That strike rate, 42.39 over the course of his career and 26 five-wicket hauls. Over 15 years, this guy had eight years out of 15 where he averaged either under 20 
or struck at under 45. I am, of course, talking about probably the most underrated test legend that I've seen come across my desk so far in the Hall of Fame, and that is, of course, South Africa's Dale Steyn. Look, guys, in the future, in 40 years' time, when people look back at this era of test cricket, do you think people are going to think about Dale Steyn as being one of the all-time greats compared to McGrath, Anderson, Marshall, Wazim, Wakar, Kirtley Ambrose, players of that nature? That uh, that was a similar thing that I was thinking. I mean, even when you guys were watching him, did you kind of realise... I, I don't think I ever realised how good he was. I mean, maybe that's saying... Uh, that talks to the fact that we probably didn't see, you know, New Zealand play test cricket against South Africa especially often. Um, but, yeah, I, I really don't think I appreciated actually how good he was. and At and, the time. At the time. And, and maybe Binksy, you might have seen it a bit more. I mean, often, you know, England obviously plays more tests, so you kind of get more of a, a round at all the, the world-class players. Yeah, I, I was going to ask the question of Bordy, you know, why is it that, you know, he is that underrated in, in cricketing circles? I think a lot of the current and, you know, recent former players talk about how good he was but he, he's always one that you know slips off the radar when you kind of rattle off those names of you know Hadley and um Kirtley Ambrose and Walsh and Akram and Anderson you, you often forget his name but from a stats perspective and from how good he was both red and white ball I, I just I can't quite understand why we don't talk about him in those those echelons and unless it is the simple fact that you know we just haven't seen as much of him as some of those uh, you know those other um other greats because they do play in more iconic series don't they if you think about australia and england and and india um the west indies back in their their heyday in the in the mid 90s as well no that's 100 what i was going to say i think when you look back at Dale Steyn highlights you don't think about all the iconic spells that he had even though there were plenty when you look back through uh, there was one in Australia where he was just coming back from injury where he was just moving the ball so Mm. late both ways and I think you know in a way playing in Australia was more in their element than other parts of the world anyway Mm. for South Africa but from a from a numbers perspective I'm actually not going even though he's got great numbers and we'll get to that in a second but I remember, and this is one for you, Stu, is the passion on celebration. Oh, yeah. I think that's the one that I'm going to remember the most about him and the way that kind of fires your team up, uh, especially seeing somebody get their tail up like that. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll jump back in. And the reason I don't think that we give Dale Stain the credit that he's due is because he was so consistently good for so long. He is that ultimate A, not quite A-plus cricketer, in that for 15 years, he would almost guarantee you somewhere between... 45 and 50 wickets every year at an average of 25 or less and a strike rate of around 40. The only time that we sort of really paid a lot of attention to Dale Stain was in 2008. And let's just run through his 2008 season. 13 tests, 74 wickets Mm. in 13 tests at an average of 20.01 and a strike rate of 35. Now, those stats aren't his best calendar year for for average and aren't his best calendar year for strike rate. But he played 13 tests in that year, which is, I think, the most that he played in any calendar year. And he picked up 74 wickets, which, if I'm not mistaken, is also close to, if not the record, for a fast bowler in test cricket in a calendar year. I mean, that... That just goes to show, not, not not many people will go back and think, oh, 2008, Dale Steyn. Mm. You know, you'll think 2006, Mohamed Yusuf. You'll think, you know, 48, Bradman, whatever, whatever. But people don't go think about 74 wickets in, two, in 2008 at an average of just on 20. 
So you've got a point here I'm stealing from your notes where he, he's not quite 40 yet. Uh, he did have injuries that curtailed his career towards the end of um, towards the end of his career, but we never really saw him got old. Longevity is a is a metric that mm. you use. Mm. How does that affect uh, his? Well, his he still. I mean, you still have a look at the the quality that he produced. Fifteen years calendar years that he was playing Test cricket for. Eight of those he averaged under twenty or struck at under forty five. So you've got more outstanding years as a fast bowler from Dale Stain than you've got from any other bowler who's ever played Test cricket from a from a fast bowling point of view. So so, you know, the 15 years, yes, the longevity is there. Yes, the outstanding bowling is there. But for some reason, w- people just don't think of Dale Stane when they think of fast bowlers. And this is the reason why this list exists, so that we can remember in 45 years' time when the only thing left of humankind is the internet, <laughs> we can remember that Dale Stane was among the top 20 cricketers that ever played the game. Well, and when you watch the highlights, honestly, you watch the highlights of these three bowlers, it in a row like in a row which is what i did it's actually hard to believe that anyone i mean i know we are at the top of the tree but it's it's hard to believe that anyone could ever be better than than, than those these three. than these three bowlers because they they are they're absolutely stunning imagine like imagine the three of them lining up as a as a trio and, and we just talked about how two of them did do that Ah, oh, I mean, yeah, it's it's absolutely amazing. And the, yeah, if you want to deep dive into Stain, there's just so many stats that you can you can go on and and just find your little patches of his career that were just outstanding. If you were in a draft league or if you were in the school ground and you had to pick second and you had a bowling attack that was Dale Stain, Wazim Akram, Wakar Yunus, you'd feel like you'd win that game, right? You'd feel like you're in an absolute show of winning that test. And so, you know, if you're picking second, you get those three. I think you'd be pretty happy. Yeah, yeah, amazing. Well, Bordy, let's move on. And, and maybe the reason that Dale Stane isn't thought of in those echelons is cricket's a batter's game. So we're going to talk about two more players <laughs> so you um, on this list. And they're, and they're both uh, both batters. But where, where do we get to as we approach really the top, uh, yeah, the top 15 now almost of, of this list? We're getting really down to the the business end, aren't we? Yeah, absolutely. We're getting right down to the business end of, of, of top order batting. Let's have a look at Rahul Dravid's career from India. He played 164 test matches. So point one, he played 164 tests for his country. It's quite a lot. Point two, he made 13,288 runs in those 164 tests at an average over his whole career of 52.31 across those 164 tests. Just outstanding. 36 hundreds, a higher score of 270. And so over 17 years, we got four good years, five excellent years, two outstanding years, and one year where he did a Bradman. He averaged 100 for a calendar year in 2003. So he scored 803 runs in 2003 with a higher score of 233 and an average for that calendar year of 100.37. Only played five tests. I say only, he played five tests and averaged 100 over the calendar year. I mean, can you be this great without having any tremendous flair? I I don't know if I uh, stick to your flair. I know that there's uh, I know we've talked about it off air about Dravid and uh, and he's the wall and and all of this stuff and but I when you actually go back and and look at the highlights, I think he had a lot of shots and I and I, we're going to talk about someone next who I actually think you know in terms of the the shots shot making I think Dravid completely outstrips this next player that we're going to talk about. So yeah, I I don't buy that Dravid couldn't play those shots. I think it was a, a te- uh, you know, a, a real strength that he didn't, and he only played them when it was the right time to play them. I feel like Bordy's about to yell out, are you not entertained? <laughs> um, but the, the stats that kind of 
sum him up for me are the, the long, well, not longevity, but just at the crease, being at the crease for a long yeah. time. 31,000 balls, 44,000 minutes over his career. That That's what sort of makes him what he is for me. And he was, I know we used that wall, but he really was something in a batting lineup full of absolute stroke makers. He was someone yeah. that they could all batter at. Is that 700 plus hours at the crease over the course of his test career? If I've done that maths right. No, You'd it's have, too yeah. quick for me, I'm sorry. <laughs> that's that's but, incredible. Let's say it's 750. That's 750. That's like almost like 10 working weeks just batting over the course of his... That's unbelievable, isn't it, really? Just at the crease. The other cool stat here for you before I throw over to Binksy. Go for it, right. First man to score 100 against the other nine test-playing nations oh, at yeah. that oh, time. Oh, boom. Nice one. Very good. Very good stat. Yeah. 11,000 11, one-day runs. I mean, you, you can't not have shots if you can score 11,000 ODI runs as well and I think probably it was a case of the role in the side that he needed to play was that sheet anchor when you've got the likes of Rinder Sawag and, and Sachin Tendulkar Ganguly batting around you Lakshman who, who are all you know very very affluent shot makers um, he played the perfect foil to them didn't he batting at three for most of his career I think opened on a, on a couple of occasions but um, yeah, technically, you you know, if you're what if you're looking at any um, any sort of modern player as a blueprint, um, he'd be one that you'd kind of show to your your little boy or girl and say, you know, this is how you construct an innings, isn't it? Oh, you're bang on the money. I mean, let's let's just round out with some stats, and I'm going to come back to that role thing. Three calendar years with over a thousand runs. Peak years were ten years apart. So, '09 and 2000 were kind of two of his peak years, and they're ten years apart in his career. Not many cricketers can do that. Mm. Fourth in runs, fifth in hundreds, third in fifties. But actually, his role, his role in that Indian team was so crucial because he allowed Tendulkar and Sawag and Ganguly and Lakshman to shine all around him, right? In the glittering stars that was that Indian middle order for eight to ten years, Rahul Dravid was the most important role player in that team. You know, if you think about rugby league, he's Shane Webke. He rolls up his sleeves and does the hard work to allow all of those flashy outside backs and halfbacks and and little dummy halves and fullbacks that are so glittering and earn the big money to shine and to and to and to get those accolades. He's the Tim Duncan, if you like a basketball reference, the guy who sacrifices his own stats, his own performance. He does what's needed for the team to allow the team to be successful. And I think he's going to be a tremendous coach for Indian cricket because from what I have seen of Rahul Dravid's career, all he seemed to care about was team performance and winning. He, he, he to me, looking from the outside in, he's the guy who embodied winning. He was prepared to do the hard work so that the other guys in the order could come in and look flashy and make a lot of runs. And, you know, we're left with looking at a career that, but depending on your perspective, may or may not have had any flair to it, but he enabled all of those other players to be massively successful. And ultimately, that's why I have him at 16 or 15 on this list. Can we stay on um, just the, that winning aspect for a second? Because when I was looking through, I always try and look, you know, how much these players actually do win. Mm. And when you look at Dravid, so India, while he was playing, won 56 games. They lost 49, drew 59. So it's actually, you know, I feel like that number is low. And you look, you know, we've just rattled off all of these, like, world-class names, Hall of Fame names. Why do we we think it is, Raj? I mean, what the... I mean, Australia was so dominant in that era, I guess, which made it tricky for the other teams to kind of compete with that. But I just, yeah, I just feels like this is a bit surprising that it's so low. Yeah, I think we've been spoiled probably in the last 
decade or two with teams that have won everywhere around the world. Back in, I feel like back in those times or back in times like that, India especially or the other subcontinent teams couldn't really play outside of um, the subcontinent as mm. as well. And they struggled mm. with the, the bounce and movement, especially when we're talking about batsmen. But uh, I mean, a third, a third, a third. Oh, it's still good, but yeah. There it's... are a lot of draws in that. Yeah, there are a lot of draws in that stat line, right? If you have a look at Joe Root's career, I don't know what Joe Root's draw percentage is, but I imagine that it would be below 30%. Yeah. Rahul Dravid's is way up into the, at least uh, from what was that almost a third right yeah. so so a significant I mean we're talking about three or four percent here but it feels like that draw percentage is a lot higher for players in that era and hey draw first cricket was okay in the in that era right you, you know, weren't trying to score five and a half over the 50 over period to run down 350 you were happy with actually we're going to settle for four for 210 off our 70 overs and we'll, and we'll settle for a draw in, in that scenario. So there was more draw cricket played in in those periods. There was more draw cricket, I think, again, anecdotally in my head, played in the subcontinent over that period. And yes, they did suffer from from getting beaten by Australia. In Australia, I think a couple of series there, there were three or four nil defeats to India in that scenario. So there's eight losses of his, of his sort of 30-odd just in those two tours alone. Baldy, let's move on. We've got another batter with a pretty impressive rap sheet. Um, over twelve thousand test runs. Where are we going next? Yeah, let's go to let's go to your hometown, uh, Binksy, or your home country at least, and let's talk about Sir Alistair Cook. One hundred and sixty-one tests uh, opening the batting for England. Twelve thousand four hundred and seventy-two runs at an average of forty-five point three five. Thirty-three hundreds opening the batting for his country, and a highest score, of course, of two hundred and ninety-four. Thirteen years, five good, one excellent, one outstanding. But it's not the individual calendar years that add up for for Sir Alistair Cook. It's it's like a stalactite. Uh, no stalactite dripping in a cave. It's it's that it's that pressure and time multiplied together to result in 161 matches opening the batting in English conditions most of the time against a swinging new ball, averaging over 45 for his Test career, captaining his country, probably making the lunch and pouring the Gatorade at half time. You know this guy in terms of longevity at the top for his for his country is why I have him so high on this list. Yeah, Banksy, can you tell me? Can you? Uh, I, I was having a bit of a debate with Baldy off air, and, and uh, I'll just say it now. I think Cook is way too high on this list. It, we're not, when we look at all of the other players statistically that we've sort of talked about recently, you know, even Dravid. Dravid is, you know, statistically just has Cook covered in my opinion. But there's obviously something, and there's something more, I guess, about Cook in perhaps in English cricket that you know elevates him to this level certainly in, in Baldy's mind I'd like to hear it from you because when I even when I think about this I don't think there's actually that long before Root is above Cook and in certainly from a um, just an, an outside perspective and looking at p- numbers purely alone yeah well, well look I think if we're going to call an audible on this list then let's get Root up there for a start um, <laughs> but no in, in all in all seriousness I think you, you can't really argue with Baldy's labour of love here he's done the algorithm this is where Alistair <laughs> Cook sits on the list and I, I, I think the fact that he I, look I don't know whether Baldy's got a stat for that about how much more difficult it is to open the batting from a statistical perspective but I'd hazard it's somewhere around five points between batting and maybe number four and, and opening the batting he captained I think in around about 100 test matches it was certainly a lot of test matches um, he was you know very very successful in terms of his win-loss record as an England captain 
I think the other thing that's much maligned about Alistair Cook as well is that he only had three shots. You know, he pushed it down the ground, he played a pull and he took one off the hip. He actually had a reasonable one-day international career and, and that was a little bit of a dasher when he kind of came onto the scene, but really, really sort of obviously knuckled down and worked out how he was going to score that volume of runs in, um, in test cricket. So in my opinion, if there's ever the call for longevity being something that and put you up this list and Alistair Cook embodies that for me 161 test matches often at you know fairly turbulent times for English cricket we seem to have a lot of those um, and yeah you know his conversion rates are, are, as well are pretty much up there so yeah look, I'm just going to trust the algorithm and, and, <laughs> and, and say that Baldy's got this spot on I think I think I'll come back to opening in a second but I think if I looked at his numbers, he had nine out of his thirteen years. He had nine years where he scored over nine hundred runs, and then another year which was eight ninety nine. We'll give him that. So he had ten years where he had he scored eight nine hundred runs in a calendar year, which is something that is uh, incredible from a consistency point of view. But also as an opener, who had to open in England, who we know where we know that it's actually harder to open the batting. And I think we also have to respect the fact that he also played a lot of games against Australia and Australia mm-hmm. at their peak as well. So look, I think that he he if he's too high or wherever we're talking about his algorithm, I think that he probably deserves to be up in this class that we're talking about. Maybe the order can be debated a little bit. Uh, The reason I'm going to say that, and I'll throw it back to you here, Baldy, is Mm. my questions are around why Cook is ahead of Dravid, and the main reasons there are Dravid is ahead in key stats, like he has more hundreds, higher average, and total runs, which I feel like are key stats for a batsman. Look, that's a very good point. (laughs) I would be be actually happy um, to live swap Rahul Dravid and Sir Alistair Cook, because depending on your preference, whether or not you want, you know, what was it, 16, 17 years of, of, of A, you know, grade Rahul Dravid, or 13 years of, of A or A minus Alistair Cook, depending on your perspective on how hard opening the batting is, you know, you could make an argument that Rahul Dravid has statistically a greater career. In terms of their importance to their relative sides, I think it's probably an even even split. If you think about the role that Dravid played, he enabled greater success for his team. But if you have a look at the quality of players around him, how many times did Sir Alistair Cook play in a, in a team that had a Tendulkar in their team? He probably played with Kevin Peterson, who reached that peak maybe once or for a few tests in his career, but not over the course of his whole career. You look at, at, at Andrew Strauss, he was a, a, almost like a similar type of player to, to Sir Alistair Cook as well, but he didn't really have a Saywag. He didn't really have a Ganguly. He didn't really have a Lakshman. Or if he did, he had 80% of those players. He had Bell, he had Trot. You know, he had really quality test cricketers on occasion, but not all the time. I feel like Sir Alistair Cook, and we've seen it after he retired. I mean, England have used 123 different opening batters in the in the period from the, from from when he retired until now. And I, 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 I actually had to cl- click in my head that that was an exaggeration because it, 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 it feels it, about right. It, it's it's an exaggeration, but it's not that much of an exaggeration in terms of my scale of hyperbole, at least. So you know, his uber consistency puts him here in this conversation for me. Whether or not you prefer Dravid, whether or not you prefer Cook, I think. On reflection, I'd probably slightly prefer Dravid ahead of Cook in terms of overall balance. But I mean, you could make an argument either way. I think in, in terms of in terms of what your personal preference is, and I'm sure that Binksy would probably lean towards his guy, and Raj might lean towards his guy, and you'd lean towards your guy, and we'd all be right at the end of the day. 
the, the crazy thing is that he's only 37. And and uh, what, he retired? He retired ages ago. and uh, Feels yeah, like that, right? And he's still playing, isn't mm. he? He's still playing county cricket, still scoring runs from what, from what I can see, Binksy. But yeah, I mean, he's, he's younger than me. It's, I yeah looked at this list and thought, imagine, he's played 160 tests. Imagine if he'd kept going till like now or five, you know, maybe even just another five years. Like this, the, the numbers would just be astronomical. Absolutely. Yeah, look, absolutely. Well, guys, I think it's probably about time to leave it there. What we've decided is the integrity of the algorithm can just be <laughs> thrown out willy-nilly. Absolutely, with a bit of peer pressure. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so look, I'm really looking forward, though, to the final rundown as we get into the top 15 cricketers on the Hall of Fame. That, of course, coming up in your feed relatively soon, as well as our normal programming as well. Please do dip back into the back catalogue as well. Recent interviews with the likes of... Um, now, Commonwealth uh, medalist Sophie Devine are in the feed um, over the course of the last couple of weeks. But for now, it's good night and God bless from us all here at Top Order Towers. See ya. <laughs>